Today's episode of Operation Tango Romeo is brought to you by our wonderful sponsor, the Vancouver Island Works Project. Vancouver Island Works Project. They are providing us at Operation Tango Romeo with a premium website. They're building it for us, populating it. They're looking after everything that I don't know how to do. If you are looking for a website for yourself, please check out the Vancouver Island Works Project, viwproject.com. That's Victor India Whiskey Project.com. Now, they do a lot more than just websites. They do a whole bunch. Please check out their services on the service tab on their website at viwproject.com. Accounting, bookkeeping, uh, Microsoft and Adobe training, social media management, you name it. Now, the website is that they're building for us is just under construction right now. It'll be up and running probably in a few weeks. There'll be a big announcement about that. But VancouverIslandWorksProject.com is supporting Tango Romeo. Thank you for that. Thank you, Manny Mandrusiak, who I served with. And please check them out, man. Check them out. Get a premium website for yourself. At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible, with a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. And we're rolling. Welcome back to another fantastic edition of Operation Tango Romeo. Today in studio across the table from me, we have a very special guest that I've been trying to get on here for quite some time. This fella is a therapist and for some silly reason, he has dedicated a great amount of time into learning about the veteran community. Mr. Matthew Miller, thank you for being here, sir. Glad to be here. Thank you. Well, I've been looking forward to it, and there has been a lot of feedback about you, Mister. People t- that are quite happy uh, from couples therapy, and all within the veteran community, people get back to me and they go, "And there's just something about that Matthew Miller, and you have really got the knack of connecting with people, and without that connection, it's tough to help them." Yeah, absolutely. So you have taken time out of your life to show up at in-person peer support groups for veterans. And what have you learned? Um, so just to, to back up a little bit, I started working with veterans about two and a half years ago, and I've been a mental health therapist and counselor for a decade now as a registered social worker with a a master's degree. And uh, two and a half years ago, a veteran sought me out uh, from Psychology Today and Googled Matthew Miller and found me. And I had, up to that point, had no experience with veterans. And I found it fascinating and really interesting to learn about the, I call it the military mind um, and how they experience their world. And as a therapist, I've always strove to 
understand how do people experience their worlds? What is their story? And you're always following your story or your beliefs or your framework of, of life. Um, and then over time, I was invited in to peer support groups and more veterans started talking to me. And I thought, this is really important to get a more accurate handle and understanding of how, what have veterans gone through? How have they experienced their life during service, after service? Because if I can put myself in your shoes and have true empathy and see your world through your eyes and through your ears and through your heart and through your lived experience, even though I haven't experienced it, but I'm temporarily putting myself there in your world, only then can I be really effective at helping you with your stories, with your feelings, with your behaviors. And so I've been honored to have veterans tell me, read this book, watch this video, come to this presentation. And uh, it's been, it's been an honor and it's been a great learning experience. And what have you learned? Um, I've learned that the veterans I talk to, they all have experience with what I, I'm, I think very simply and I, I express things very simply. So if I was going to sum it up, they've experienced intense invalidation. They're with their military families. They signed up looking for connection for um, all the right reasons. I want connection. I want to uh, serve my country. I want to grow and, and belong and often they have experiences that are really traumatic in what they see or what they experience. But the deeper trauma that, that I see isn't necessarily I saw a buddy die or I saw this third world condition. It's my family, my military family invalidated me. They turned their back on me. I didn't get, not only did I not get this promotion, but I was actively denied and bullied or abused. And when it's family that's turning on you, that's a deep, deep trauma. That's something that causes you to not feel safe in your own world. And it becomes a lens through which you experience yourself as unworthy or you experience others as unsafe. And so me being brought into that world and seeing that time and time again helps me as a therapist and counselor to know what to work on um, and how to work on it. If I was going to sum up, what I see is veterans are extremely hardworking. Um, civilian brains like me at first thought, oh, wow, you're really rigid and inflexible. But I've since inserted into my thinking, you're really just precise and detailed. And so then my job becomes to insert into your, into your options of how to think and feel and behave the word flexibility. And it's okay to be rigid. It's okay to be precise. It's okay to be hardworking, but it's also okay to just be and to not have a mission and to not have 
uh, in, intense precision about going grocery shopping or whatever is going on. Um, so yeah, I find it fascinating. And I also find um, consistently with veterans, they're missing two things. Uh, they're missing a sense of people, their own people who get them and understand them. And I don't, for all the effort and time I've put in, <laughs> I, I do not understand you like you understand you. I'm getting glimpses and I'm getting closer, but I will never fully understand. So veterans are missing two things. They're missing their people, not just people, but their people, and a sense of purpose. And that's what I really like about peer support groups. Because you're sitting with people, whether they served in the Army or the Navy or the Air Force, you guys rib each other, it doesn't really matter. You have a shared experience that no other people have. And that builds connection. And when people feel connection, they're no longer disconnected. When you're disconnected, you have the anxiety and the depression and the loneliness and the suicidality. But when you're connected to people, that also often comes along with purpose. And the purpose can be simply just to connect to your people or your friends or people that get you. Um, so my job as a therapist is to help veterans find their people or new people, whether they're volunteering somewhere uh, that they're passionate about, uh, humane society or what have you, or purpose. What is my purpose? I need a new mission. And maybe my mission is my family. Maybe my mission is my health. Maybe my mission is new learning or education. But through that framework of people and purpose, I find I get the most traction as a therapist and a counselor. Um, and I'm often helping veterans to, I don't want to, well, yeah, like rehumanize themselves, which to me is just <laughs> teaching what you already knew and what you already know, which is just empathy. How do you see this person in front of you at the store? Are they a human being or are they doing something wrong? And, and empathy really is just, I see you, I hear you, I feel you. I understand your human experience is my human experience. And veterans, I find, often uh, dehumanize themselves and they become very cruel and unkind to themselves. So I try and reteach them empathy for themselves. Um, and often they get into conflict with others because they are so precise and mission-driven. Um, I remind them that the other civilian brains that they're interacting with do not think the same way that they do. And I try to remind them how to have empathy for the other people that they're meeting. So that's pretty much uh, in three minutes of, of sharing um, what I deal with 90% of the time with, with veterans. It's very insightful of you. And uh, I think you've put a, a fine point on what I also believe to be true. The challenge of transition, which never ends for some people, that's why so many veterans become truck drivers, just to be just to get away from people is because uh, they've given up on trying to uh, um, feel that sense of connection. And it's simply too painful to always be the odd duck out, to be the one that doesn't fit. 
And so it's just sort of a F you to society and, and people go and will put themselves in situations where they don't have to do a whole lot of interacting with others and they isolate themselves. And it's the only way that they can get through because nobody gets them. And a big part of that, at least my theory, is that sense of mission is conditioned into your lizard brain. And because of that, everything, whether it's conscious or unconscious, everything is life or death. I was such a tyrant around the kitchen table because my lizard brain was taking over and saying, okay, here's the platoon, here's, here's the section of people, they all have their tasking, my life depends on you, your life depends on me, and that's why things have to go right. And they have to be on schedule, and we have to do it correctly, and we have to do it together as a unit, or somebody's going to die, or we're all going to die. I didn't know that's what my brain was doing, but that's exactly what my brain was doing. Mm-hmm. A place that um, we, as veterans, tend to fail horribly is at things like camping trips, because now it really feels like a mission. You know, we we're, it's a troop movement. We're going from A to B. We're setting up a camp. I mean, it's a mission. And the lizard brain, that little asshole, <laughs> takes over and... And you don't know that that's what's happening. But the awareness that this brain that we don't need right now is the one that's in charge, that is really helpful. And then the tool around that is to change the mission. First, be aware that you are on mission. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, I don't know, I'm just going camping. No, you're this is a mission. Yeah. And that's what your brain thinks. It's like, ah, shit, it is a mission. Okay. So your mission isn't to go camping or to go to the grocery store or to have dinner. Your mission is harmony. That's the mission. And for myself, taskings where I would have failed horribly and wrecked the day with my kids and it would have been me that destroyed the day and then nobody had fun because of this asshole once I consciously would change the mission to harmony, it was fixed. I love that. I, uh, I work with a, a veteran and their challenge with um, their children is very similar to what you described. And going fishing isn't, for instance isn't just going fishing. It's if I die and I'm not here to provide for my family, my children who are whatever, five and seven need to know how to fish for survival. So a fishing trip with your children isn't just enjoyment. And what I've helped them, I kind of call it like normal as a setting on a dryer, but there's other settings on the dryer too. And so you need to insert onto your setting of there's a mission here and this is life or death, and this matters so much. And what can you insert into your settings to balance out things? And what we worked on is you need to insert enjoyment. And you need to insert, I am freaking allowed to live my life while I'm alive and enjoy it. Versus everything is a mission. 
from brushing my teeth to having a clean house to the finances to everything is mission critical, like what you're talking about with this life or death sense and story. And if you can change your story to I'm just fishing, I'm just enjoying coffee, I'm just enjoying life, and I'm allowed to, and I'm worthy, and I deserve it, that is reintroducing to me humanity and empathy and kindness and compassion for yourself. And that will flow to your family, your friends, the people at the store, whereas you may have in the past gone observe, judge, attack. Now you're able to go observe, judge, grumble, to observe and humanize. This is just a person doing the best they can, including me. Um, yeah, so anyway, as you were talking, I thought, yeah, that's, that's what I help people to do. And it's so important. Otherwise, life is just a checkbox. And life is more than just a checkbox. And you deserve to live while you're alive and to enjoy it. We tend to be a self-sacrificing lot, the ones that fall on the sword. And there's a tradition in the military where the officers eat last. Now, I was a corporal when I got out, so I didn't uh, have to eat last. But the leaders eat last. And I think there's even a book on that, actually. But the leaders eat last. And that sort of culture says to us, and it's ingrained in the brain, that um, the, the troops go first. And then whatever's left over, that's what the officers get. And if they don't like you, you'll know because there'll be no food left, <laughs> which has happened. So like, there's nothing for me. Well, maybe don't be a dick. <laughs> and uh, that does happen. But we tend to be of that mentality. It's, it's burned right into us. And that's not in every military, but it, that is in ours for sure, mm-hmm. that officers eat last and, uh, or the leaders eat last. If it's just your section, the section commander, who's typically a sergeant, will eat last. And um, And what does that signify? That the troops come first. It's that sense of family. Okay. You know, it's uh, a sense that we got your back and that we are not your dictator, although they are, (laughs) Um, but just that, that we matter. You know, that the peons at the bottom of the rung with the no-hook private, the, the recruit that just got to battalion on Tuesday... Yeah, you don't know shit, but you still matter. And um, at least to me, that's the that's the message that's being conveyed. But the they say that the human brain isn't fully formed until you're 25 years old, give or take. Yeah, they actually think it might be a little later than that. I would <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, but uh, they get you in the military. A lot of people are 17. Yeah. You know, I was 20. I was an old guy, actually, at 20 when I joined. And, I mean, your brain is so malleable at that time. So when you get conditioned, especially in combat arms, especially in the infantry, it's uh, everything is do or die, do or die. And you are training your brain for the lizard brain to take over. That's, that's the whole point of the conditioning, so that you turn off your logical brain, because your logical brain says, if people are shooting at you, you hide. Well, that doesn't work in combat. If people are shooting at you, our lizard brain takes over and is reconditioned to charge, to dump all your 
bullets in that general direction of the bad guys and to charge into the fire. That's what an ambush drill is because it's your only chance of survival. And if you don't respond with maximum aggression, you're going to die and everybody around you is going to die. But maybe, just maybe, if you're aggressive enough, you'll get her done. People think that we have all this high, high training in unarmed combat. That's not true. We have the basics of hand-to-hand combat. What we do have is a high, high level of aggression. Yep. And that super-duper high-level aggression with a few fighting martial arts basics, that's all you need. Because a super-jacked-up, ultra-aggressive person with basic skills can kick the living shit out of the average bat black belt. It's just raw. It's not uh, uh, ninja skills. It's just raw aggression and determination and resolve. Mm -hmm. And the idea of, I'm going to hurt you, and I'm perfectly comfortable with it. And I don't see you as a you. I see you as a target. Yes. I see you as a force that needs to be neutralized. You are no longer a human being to me. You are a threat, and I will neutralize this threat. I call that the othering. So you are now other because you're no longer human. I can shoot you because you're no Mm -hmm. longer like me. I can attack you. And I see problems with that in relationships because people see their spouse or their children or extended family as other. Mm. And the aggression that you're alluding to uh, comes out because it's trained into you. Before your brain was even formed. Yeah. So we all have natural aggression. And I think that, and I haven't gone through military training, but from what I've observed and heard, and if you're in it for 20 years, you have a new normal. And your ability to raise your voice, to posture, to be aggressive in communication is just how you talk to each other. But it doesn't work with civilian brains who are not trained. It's like literally taking a hammer to a marshmallow and then you don't understand why the marshmallow can't take it. And we're so unaware of it. It's even our facial expressions. My wife all the time is like, you're looking at me like you're annoyed. I'm like, this is just my face. (laughs) (laughs) This is my face. This is my face. This This is is, what my face does. This is how it is. I'd like to go back to what you talked about with the eating, actually, and Mm. how it shows that they matter. Because another um, common challenge that I find with, with veterans who... Um, are hurting mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, socially. Um, when it's suggested to them, you know, you could go to the food bank and get help. You know, Veterans Affairs Canada, I think, has supports for you. Yeah, that's for other people. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I'm not mm-hmm. worthy. Other people have it worse than me. I don't, I don't even need, I have a massive migraine and I think I'm going to die, but I don't even deserve an aspirin because I'm not worthy. Because I am the sheepdog, and I signed up to protect people. I shouldn't need help. And I got this. I can handle it. I got this. I can handle it. And what what I've come to say to people, to jar them, is I draw a circle, and I put the entire world or humanity in that circle. Say, so this is what you signed up on the dotted line to give your life for, for people, for country, for service. You are willing to die for people. And then I tell them this. I say, 
and then I, I do a little arrow outside the circle and I draw a little stick person because I can't draw. And I say, this is you outside of the circle of humanity. How dare you think that you're not a human being? How dare you think that you don't deserve help when you're willing to give your life to help? How dare you think that you're not worthy and that you're no longer a human being? And that really, that really gets their attention. And then they realize what they're doing. I say, yeah, you are worthy. And you don't have to do anything to be deserving. You're already a human being. And if you're willing to give your life for your fellow human beings, how dare you not be willing to receive help from your fellow human beings? Because you are us and we are you. And at some point, and this I haven't quite figured out, they've lost their humanity for themselves. And I think that has to do with their individualized trauma of invalidation. If my military family, and often it's their, their childhood family plus their military family invalidating them, when you have that combined intense experience of invalidation in your life, I think that's where the switch gets flipped. And if my own family, whether it's military or biological, don't see me as a person worthy of love, understanding, compassion, and empathy, then I must be a monster. I must be inhuman and I must be unworthy. So my job is to make sure that they can insert a different story into their narrative of I am a human being and I've gone through things, but I'm still a human being. I'm not the things I did or didn't do. And I'm not the things that I had done to me. I'm a human being and I am worthy. And if I had any wish for the veteran community who don't see themselves that way, it would be for them to have that sense of humanity and compassion for themselves. And I don't teach people to love themselves. I don't know how to do that. But I can teach people to at least stop hating themselves and to become indifferent. And there's peace in that. I am doing my best with what I have in the moment today. And some days are better than others. But I'm doing my best with what I have And that sense of me, I am doing, brings a sense of humanity back to them. And um, anyway. A big part of our identity is um, a superhero identity. Mm -hmm. You know, we buy into the movies and we see ourselves as the character in that movie that's the hero. And we were for a while. That is who we were for a while. Mm Mm-hmm. Admitting that you're vulnerable, admitting that you can be injured, admitting that mental injuries happen and they happened to me and I'm suffering as a result, it is so hard to accept that. When I first picked up the phone to ask for help, that was, it was a thousand pound telephone. It was the hardest phone call I've ever made. And then when I finally did make the phone call, I spent most of my time uh, saying, 
I'm not, you know, I'm not saying this is a military injury. I'm not. I'm just, you know, can, can you just have a look? <laughs> but I'm in the Costco parking lot and I'm crying because there's people in there and I don't know what to do. But I'm fine. I'm but I'm okay. fine. I'm okay. But it's not the military that did it. It's something else. It's, uh, uh-huh. I can handle this. I got this, except just have a look anyway. And, um, admitting that, yeah, holy shit, I was injured. When there's a, I always use the landmine strike probably because landmines are, uh, for so many of us and for myself, just the most horrible things. Um, cause you never know where they are and you never know when you're going to hit one. It's just the worst. And, uh, we all know friends that are, have friends that are either dead or they lost limbs or even genitals from a landmine strike. I was actually more scared of losing my genitals than I was my legs. I have never considered that up until this very second. So thank you for that visual. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it happens. There's uh, a lot of guys have had their junk torn off, uh, you know, and you just think it's the legs. It's like, yeah, probably a little extra, Mm -hmm. probably the third leg. And uh, happens all the time. Well, that was my concern uh, with, with landmines. But what the hell was my point? I had a point. Why was I talking about this? I, I don't know, Mark. Well, shit. You never know when emotions are going to come up, events are going to come up, things. What do landmines represent? Mm. Let's have a session here. <laughs> We're going to do a session right here. It's actually not a terrible idea, but... Um, well, instead, that's uh, it'll probably come back to me. I'll, sure. I, I want to circle back. The question I wanted to ask you is why us, Matthew Miller? Why the military community in particular? Why, why have you specialized and focused on us? Um, I think two things. I think opportunity. Just like, well, I don't know. I, I think opportunity um, when that first veteran approached me two and a half years ago and I got introduced to more and more veterans and then food banks and then peer support groups and things have just naturally progressed, frankly. Um, But me as a therapist and a counselor, the thing that, um, that makes me feel useful and like I'm doing a good job is to see change. And in the civilian population, I find people often who want to talk about their problems, want to vent about their problems. And when I give them the tools to change, they don't have the impetus or the, I don't want to say ability, I think they have the ability, but they don't have the energy to put in the work. And I think it might be the veteran mindset, the training, your automatic muscle memory of, okay, I have a job here, I have a task, and my therapist said, read this, do this, I'm going to do this. And they said, we should talk weekly, we're going to talk weekly. And so I'm kind of jazzed and excited to work with veterans, because that's where I see the most change in my practice, because you have the capacity for hard work. And you have the desire for change. By the time you're coming to talk to me, you're not feeling okay with how things are and you want them to be different. And because of your military training or just your personality, you haven't teased that out, could be both. 
you're willing to do the work. Well, if you give us the mission parameters, yeah, you know, give it, give us the scope of service, give us the um, the mission parameters and and the commander's intent, and we will do that. Yeah, and that's what I find, and that gets me excited to have more opportunity to help to make a difference. Um, and it, it's not just in the military mind that the difference happens. I see it in couples and in families where dad or mom are no longer landmines who might go off at any moment. It's, oh, we have safety restored. De- whatever the, the peaceful DEFCON level has been restored. I never know if it's five or one, but it's peacetime. Whereas before, it was, we're walking on eggshells waiting for dad to lose it because we're five minutes late to go camping. And it's supposed to be a family event and we're not, it's not life or death. It just feels like life or death for dad. What's happened, what's changed for dad or mom is they've stepped back from mission critical level thinking and feeling to my mission is harmony. My mission is enjoyment. My mission is to just observe and experience and no longer observe, judge, attack. And yeah, so I guess to sum up, I see working with veterans and military minds as an opportunity to make a lasting difference. And, uh, and that jazzes me, that excites me, and, and it's an honor. Well, word on the street is, Matthew, that you're pretty damn good at it. So <laughs> please continue. Um, to wrap up here, I would like to hear from your perspective, since you've been up to your neck in the peer support groups, um, the groups where it's usually just military and first responders in these groups, mm-hmm. but uh, you've been open uh, with open arms. You've been brought in. Um, what are some of the do's and don'ts of peer support? Um, the Jews of peer support, I think, um, well, I think the, the value and benefit in peer support is it provides that sense of people and purpose. And, um, we recently started a, a peer support group for, um, military or first responders who have had sexual trauma. So it's a very specialized peer support group. And we started off telling the attendees, this is not a place where you're going to relive um, the incident or incidents that you've gone through. This is a place where you're going to find people. You might find purpose, people that understand you, and a sense of connection and belonging. And we're going to give you the skills and the tools to ground yourself, to put these past experiences that you're carrying around in your backpack on the bookshelf where all of your other life events are. Um, so I would say the dues of peer support are to make sure that the environment is one in which they feel that they belong and they're safe and they're not going to accidentally be um, sta- stepping on any landmines of being triggered or having to relive experiences. Um, and I'd say the don'ts of peer support are 
the opposite of that. Make sure that they that they're not excluded. Make sure there's inclusion, and make sure that you're not asking people to relive their trauma. Um, yeah, and I think that's really for anything to do with um, PTSD or trauma. Asking I think people, one of the tough ones, and and one that, the the rule that I see get broken the most often, yeah, is being judgmental. Mm. I see that rule getting broken all the time, and us being really douchey to each other by being by doing comparative trauma. It's well, I was outside of the wire, and you weren't. So what's your problem? I was in combat, you weren't. What's your problem? Yeah, the the judgment. Um, yeah, that's not helpful for anybody. And I think, yeah, so I think the the ability to step back from judgment and just see each other as fellow human beings with a shared experience, um, there's a lot of value to that experience in peer support of being with others and you don't feel alone. And I often hear people saying one of the greatest things of being here is I no longer feel alone. And I, as a therapist working with veterans, I see people that are, that are crying, that are suicidal, that are depressed, that are anxious. And I say, what is it? What do you need? What do you need? And they say, I feel like I don't have a mission. I feel like I don't have purpose. I feel like no one understands me. I said, well, there's a peer support group where people will get you and they understand you. And so I think, that welcoming environment cannot exist with judgment, with comparative trauma, with comparison, because you're trying to other each other. You're you're engaged in othering versus humanity and empathy. Um, yeah, so... I've got a dangerous question for you. Sure. Because I don't know what your answer is going to be. Yeah, neither do I. Let's see how it goes. All right. Um, we've, we've talked at length of the power of connection of not having the othering of being in a group hearing a voice where that's non-judgmental and that you can relate to now for people that don't have the access or the bandwidth um it's just the idea of getting together with people they're just not there yet this isn't the time mm-hmm. can this podcast in some way help them feel like they're not alone I would say yes, because the experiences that you talk about or that your guests talk about are the shared experience of the vast majority of veterans. So for them to hear, whether it's a therapist or a veteran or whomever on this podcast, speaking somewhat to their lived experience and their mind and their heart um, their truth, I think that's a sense of connection or really, I go back to the empathy piece. I see what you see. I hear what you hear. I feel what you felt. And that builds connection and caring. So yeah, absolutely. This podcast would be a helpful, useful tool for military minds to feel connected. Mm-hmm. And I hope that for our first responder listeners that you're also able to connect. I mean, this is for veterans and first responders because I find that we speak a very similar language. Some of the jargon is going to be different. 
but it's a similar language with a similar tone. We have the same gallows humor because we've all dealt with really, really horrible things in horrible situations. We both know what it's like to be completely unappreciated, um, which is in itself a moral injury. The police right now, I just wrote a piece and uh, just did a podcast on it yesterday, narrating that piece about how being a cop right now is so thankless. There's so many haters out there and that is, breaks my heart because I have a better idea than most of what the job of a police officer is. And from my perspective, it is a job that should be respected, not hated. Um, These are people that go out in the world and get punched in the face so that we don't have to. That is deserving of respect to me. And right now, they are the opposite of being appreciated. So for all my first responder friends out there, of all uniforms, God bless you. And thank you for what you do and for your sacrifice. And for my guest today, Matthew Miller, thank you, sir. Uh, we're not an easy bunch to tackle. <laughs> you know, we're, we're just not. We can be, we can be difficult and bullheaded, uh, and yet you have decided to help us. And thank you so much for, for being in our veteran community and taking the time to learn about us so that you can help us more effectively. Thank you. It's an honor, and I appreciate it. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible with a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. 